0: Be Christ's church, impact the valley, reach the world, all for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, then go ahead and grab them. We are going to be in the book of Romans this morning. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, months through the book of Acts, turn to Acts and keep turning a little bit farther and you'll find the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 21 through 26 in our time together. What I have found, and I I realize I'm still a young man, but what I have found to be one of the the biggest obstacles to growing as a believer, to growing as a Christian, and especially for a lot of Christians in America, is a phenomenon that C.S. Lewis has called chronological snobbery, chronological snobbery we tend to look at everything that is new as if it's best. If it's brand new, it's got to be good. And we we tend then to, to look on that which is old as useless, outdated, obsolete. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right? I, I didn't look in the parking lot, and I got here a little bit earlier than, than some of you, but I, I don't think any of you came to church this morning in a horse-drawn buggy. Is that a fair assumption? So, so not all technological advances are bad. Quite frankly, a lot of them are beneficial. But in our walk with Christ, we miss out when we fail to look at the past. There have been individuals... For over 2,000 years, I'm sure you guys realize this, for over 2,000 years who have looked at the Bible, thought deeply about the Bible, spent time with God, and then wrote down their experiences, and we can still learn from them today. We would be far better off as a follower of Christ in our knowledge of the Bible— And and understanding how the Bible actually applies to our life if we were to look to the past. And, And some of the most important individuals in my personal walk with Christ who have shaped me were alive in the 1600s and 1700s. They were affectionately now, but unaffectionately at the time, known as the Puritans. And they have taught me a ton. And and one of the primary ways in which they still teach is through the printed sermon. And the fact that you can still get books and books of sermons from people who lived 3 or 400 years ago I think says a lot about their value. And these sermons were usually divided into three parts. They had their Bible exegesis, they had their doctrine, and then they had application. So they would start, they'd spend time opening up the biblical text. What does this particular text say? What does it mean? And praise God, Pastor Daniel does that week in and week out. And after they've looked at an individual text, they would then move to the doctrine. How does the doctrine that is being taught in this text be in harmony with every other doctrine of the Bible? So how does this one text fit in with everything else that the Bible teaches. So really every week the congregation would have a type of theological training as they listened to the sermon. And they concluded their sermons with the application and what they called uses. What are the uses of this text to our daily life? And they felt that this was, this was so important that they spent a good deal of time unpacking the uses of the text. So if on average a Puritan preached for about an hour, some of you can kind of take a breath, right? If they preached for about an hour, then a full 30 minutes of that time would be devoted to the uses. How does this text and what it teaches us affect our daily life? They wanted their congregation to see that the Bible that they have does apply to their daily life. And so for today, what I want to attempt to do is to walk through this wonderful text in Romans chapter 3. It is one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, and I I don't say that lightly. It teaches us about the doctrine of, of justification. How we as sinners are made right with God. This is this is so important for seeing individuals reconciled to God, brought into the family of God. What I'm praying God will do even today. But what I also want to to show is how relevant the doctrine of justification is for our daily life. So Tuesday at work, Thursday spending time with the family, your career, your relationships, how does this doctrine affect how we view all of life? And I'm hoping that through seeing This doctrine, this text, in that way, what it will begin to do is whet your appetite such that every time you open the Bible, you're not not hoping to learn a new fun fact or some abstract truth that's out there, but something that's actually going to be put to use in your life. So hopefully by now you are in Romans chapter 3 with me. Verses 21 through 26 says this, Father, we thank you first and foremost for who you are, God, that you are good to us, and we see that so clearly at the cross and in the resurrection. God, I pray that your spirit would move in power through this, through this text, God, that you would apply it to our hearts, that we would be able to see that your word is very relevant, it is very applicable, and that we would be faithful to you not just in these walls at church but in every aspect of our life we desperately need you for that and we pray it in your name and for your glory in Christ's name amen so Paul begins this section with the contrasting word but does everybody see that it starts with but so what is he contrasting in this section That's important. What is he contrasting? So almost from from the midpoint of chapter 1 to our passage, Paul has been describing the fact over and over that there is no one who is righteous before God. The Gentiles, they've tried. They are not righteous before God. The Jews, they have the law. They can do it. Absolutely not. They are not righteous before God. And in fact, he he summarizes the uh, the situation that every individual is in when he says this. Look at verses 10 through 12 of chapter 3. None is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, in case you don't understand, not even one. That is a massive problem. If this is where the book of Romans ended, we would not have hope. Because that includes every single one of us. That includes you and that includes me. And if this is the situation we are in, if every single individual is guilty before God and God is righteous, then how in the world can we be saved? If God must punish sin, because He's righteous, if sin must be punished, and we are guilty, we are in a world of trouble. How can we be in a loving relationship with God when He's righteous and we aren't? Reality is if left to ourselves, we cannot. Paul is very clear no person is good, no one is righteous. But it's into that situation that we read that beautiful word, but you're not righteous, you're not good, you're guilty. So, so who is righteous? Who can step in and act? God. The righteousness of God has been manifested, Paul says. It, it's been shown to us apart from the law. He says even, even though the entire Old Testament is anticipating what God is going to do. The entire Old Testament is pointing to the fact that God is going to act on our behalf. God saves, this is important, God saves not through man keeping the law, but through sending his son who keeps it in our place. Again, that's so important. It's because we cannot keep the law. We cannot do enough good things in order to merit our place in heaven. So no amount of boxes that you check, whatever your criteria is, I came to church, I read my Bible, I I did my tithe, I didn't cuss, I didn't watch that movie, is going to cover the fact that you're guilty. We are not righteous. We cannot earn our place. If God did not act, we would be lost. That's the situation. Situation everyone is in. It says the righteousness of God is on display in Jesus Christ and and through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So so follow this, this line of thinking. No human is righteous before God. Established, right? Paul's made that very clear. God is righteous. Also, very clear. So so how can humans, man, who who are not righteous, be in a relationship with God who is righteous if we have to be righteous in order to be in a relationship with God? That that's the question. That's the problem. That's the situation we're all in. And the answer Paul gives is through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how does that work? Look at verses 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. It's clear. <laughs> but those who believe in Christ are justified, not because they've done something, not because they've earned it, not because they've merited it, but by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, so how is He our redemption? How has Jesus bought us back? That's what it means to redeem. He has purchased us. Because God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation is not a very popular term. And quite frankly, it's not one we use very often. I'm willing to put money on the fact that unless you are, are reading the Bible, none of you probably use the word propitiation in your daily conversation this week. Is that fair? None of you use the word propitiate? To propitiate, this is an important theological word, to propitiate means to appease the wrath of God. That the wrath of God is satisfied. So, so in the death of Christ... The Father pours out His wrath on the Son. And, and it implies that our forgiveness, when we're forgiven of sins, it's not God simply like sweeping it under the rug. We're not going to worry about that. We're not going to talk about that. We're able to be forgiven because the wrath that is owed for our sins has been poured out on Jesus. And it's not very popular today. We have an entire culture that is that's trying to get you to believe that God is not actually mad at you. And I do have a book in mind, I can see the cover right now, that the title is God is Not Mad at You. He would never punish you for your sins, right? He loves you way too much. God's not a meanie. He knows, come on, we all make mistakes. And we make God into a cosmic genie. He lives to serve us, and he's never going to cast judgment. Now, if you were to, to ride in the car with me for any amount of time, and a lot of the students have learned this as of late, is I am a big-time Disney fan. I love Disney movies, and I'm very thankful to God that I was born, that he ordained that I was born in the 90s, because, like, that's the golden era of Disney animated movies like don't don't get me wrong I love the new movies I love Tangled Frozen Encanto was great but come on Beauty and the Beast Lion King Hercules Mulan a little bit before you have The Little Mermaid like my parents are here they probably still have a box of VHS tapes somewhere in our house if you're younger than 18 you can ask your parents later what a VHS tape is that's a weird reference that I'm now able to actually make. <laughs> and wh- one of my favorite Disney movies is Aladdin. I absolutely loved Aladdin. And in fact, I really like the remake that they did a few years ago. It's probably probably one of my favorites. And in Aladdin, there's, there's one song that's entitled Friend Like Me. Right? It, it's Genie's song that he sings to Aladdin, basically unpacking how this is how it all works. I'm your master. You make whatever wish you want. Right? There's a couple rules. You can't do this, but otherwise, say what you wish. It's yours. We treat God like genie. His job's not to judge. His job is to give me what I ask for and really not ask too many questions. I come to church after all. Come on. The thought That the wrath of God has to be poured out on the sinless Son of God. The most precious person in the universe in order that we might be saved is a foreign concept to us. That's barbaric to even think about. But it's biblical. That on the cross, Jesus is not just the the picture of what it looks like to have self-giving love. On the cross, he is bearing the wrath of God. And we're able to be declared right with God. The word used in the text is justified or justification, the reason we're able to be justified is because Christ died in our place. He paid what we owe. And look who brought it about. God did. God put Christ forward as a propitiation. Jesus wasn't trying to to coerce his grouchy father to let these rebels in. The father sent the son to redeem. We're redeemed, brought into the family of God by the blood of Christ. And this has always been the case in the Bible. Look at verses 25 through 26. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Have you ever wondered how God saved those in the Old Testament before the coming of Christ? Like, they did some pretty awful things, did they not? Take, take David, for instance. After he commits adultery with Bathsheba, he has her husband killed. We read in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, the, the prophet Nathan comes to Daniel, or to David, excuse me, and he says, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. What? mean that the lord has put away your sin like david deserves to be punished does he not and the answer is found in this text in our text in romans chapter 3 in the righteousness of god in his divine forbearance his his patience with us he passed over former sins He was able to, in a sense, and from Second Samuel, to put them away because in Christ, they're paid for. So the forgiveness of sins, Old Testament, New Testament, and past, is found in the blood of Christ. So, So in a sense, people in the Old Testament were saved, you could say, on credit, on what Christ is going to do looking forward. And then from the New Testament, on to today we're saved on debit right christ has already come christ is already paid and in this god chose himself to be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in jesus so god is is just because sin has been paid for david's sin was passed over in that moment but it was paid for in christ they weren't swept under the rug. They weren't, we're just not going to worry about that. They were paid for. And he's the justifier because he declares right those who believe in Christ. Because he, Jesus, bore the wrath of God. This is the heart of the gospel message. This is why we come to worship. This is why we have joy. This is why we have reason to celebrate because Christ died and he rose again. And in that, through faith in Christ, we are made right with God. We are brought into his family, adopted as an heir of God and a co heir with Christ. We have our sin forgiven. This is why we have reason to celebrate. Because Christ bore the wrath of God that we owe so that those who believe will be forgiven. God did what we couldn't do. He redeemed us. He gave us the righteousness that we lack, that we could never merit on our own. If you're in this room right now and you are right with God, if you've been adopted into the family of God, it's come not because you're something, it's come through the blood of Christ. For those in Christ, we have been legally declared not guilty. Justification is a legal term. The judge of the universe has declared us not guilty. The gavel has fallen, the judgment has been rendered, it will not change. Our hope for today, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of our sin, when we're at our lowest point, our hope is that it's not based on me, it's based on Christ. And our hope for eternity is that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not me. It's the finished work of Christ. So hearing this, the immediate, the the obvious application is that those who are in this room, if you believe in Christ today, you will be justified before God. Everyone in this room is guilty before God. We are in the category of none who do good. But you have the opportunity to believe in Christ this morning and be declared right with Him. God has sent His Son who willingly laid down His life so that we wouldn't have to bear the wrath of God. And the reality is, outside of Jesus, you are under the wrath of God. If you are in this room and you know you are not a follower of Christ, you are at this very moment under the wrath of God because you are guilty and you will pay for your sin. I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know, I I don't want that to sit lightly on anyone. Like, if you're in this room and you know you're not a follower of Christ, like, alarm bells should be going off, red flags shooting up everywhere. You're under the wrath of God. But you have the opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins because Christ has been crucified and Christ is risen. And if you believe in Christ, you will be justified. Not because you've earned it, but by grace as a gift through Christ. There's salvation in no one else. And this is a, a massive application for this text, and one we certainly cannot miss. But is it the only application? Is the doctrine of justification, as taught in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 26, only applicable for, for those who are going from unbelievers to believers? For, for those going from death to life? Or does it actually affect our day-to-day life? And what I want to show is that this doctrine is crucial for us as believers if we're going to flourish as Christians in this world. Take something like a career, your career, your vocation. We know that on paper, right, our career does not make us right before God. We know that. And yet we spend an awful lot of time focusing on our career and we can become very proud by what we do. Our identity becomes wrapped up in what we do as if that's who uh if that's who we are and, and this is a struggle that that I think that that men typically face Though certainly women can face it but if you if you were to get a group of men together say you've got a bunch of wives that are our best friends the husbands don't know each other like you put them in a room together it's the first time they're they're hanging out first two questions that are going to be asked what's your name man That's fair, right? That's a polite thing to say. What's your name? What do you do? What do you do for a living? Now, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what happens is we we subtly begin to find our identity in what we do. We feel superior about ourselves. We feel good about ourselves because I'm a lawyer. I'm super important. Or we feel inferior. I really don't want to say what I do because I'm a cashier at McDonald's or whatever. But the beauty of the gospel is that those who believe in Christ are brought into the family of God regardless of your vocation. So that the CEO of the company and the secretary sitting out front are brought near to God by the blood of Christ. If your job is ethical if it's legal, if you're seeking to glorify God through working hard in it, what you do is irrelevant. Christ redeemed us from the need to constantly make ourselves feel better because of what we do or make ourselves feel terrible by what we do. We've been justified by the blood of Christ so our career does not define us. In a similar way, education. A bunch of degrees can take our identity. Our identity. And personally, this one hurts because I like school. <laughs> but the truth is a PhD graduate is no more justified before God than an eighth grade dropout. Education is not a bad thing, but it will not save. Another big one for us is relationships again we would never say that our significant other would make us right we god we know that but especially as a single individual we can spend so much time trying to find the one that elusive one right as if all our problems are simply going to vanish away as soon as we find that unicorn that's out there somewhere everything's going to go well as soon as i find the one And in doing so, we fail to realize that that person will never satisfy the deep craving that we have in our soul. We were made to know God. I love how Augustine says it in his confessions. He says, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Finding a spouse will not satisfy your soul. It won't. And you will do a lot of damage to the other person if you put that kind of weight on their shoulders. My wife and I have been married for almost five years, which is a little wild to believe. I know that's not a lot compared to some of you guys in here. Like, y'all are just getting started. We've been married for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Praise God for you. I love my wife dearly. I do. She is my best friend. She is a wonderful mother. But she would be a terrible God. If I expect her to fulfill every desire that I have, I would break her. In, in the same way, don't get me wrong, I would be a terrible God for her. I make plenty of mistakes, and she knows it more than anyone else. And if she expects her deepest satisfaction in life to come from me, she will be perennially disappointed and hurt. Most of us would never say that we believe our standing with God comes from having a spouse, but we often act as if everything depends on the other person. And that's why some of you are having trouble in your marriage right now. That's why some of you are having a difficult time. Because you are expecting something from the other person that they were never designed to fulfill in you. You were made to know Christ. And you're having problems because you're putting that on the shoulders of someone who cannot bear it. The doctrine of justification reminds us where our hope actually lies. Our identity comes through Christ. Your sin doesn't define you. Praise God. We live in a world right now that seeks to define you by your struggle or some other characteristic about you. But in Christ, you are not your sin. Christ has given us the Holy Spirit that we might live in holiness. The power to follow him. And when we struggle, when we sin, we get to run to Him and not away from Him. Why? Because when I sin, when I struggle, I can get back up and run, run to Him. Why? Because that debt's been paid. God's not going to stiff-arm me and keep me at a distance. In those moments of suffering, in those moments of pain, He brings me closer, saying, I know, I've paid for that. We're able to get up And not continue to live in our sin, but to pursue after Christ because our sin doesn't get to define us. Two more applications. The first is our stuff. We get a lot of worth from our stuff, don't we? We want the best, and we want others to see that we have the best. The phrase used to be trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I say used to be because it was in student ministry a while back. I don't remember if I said it or someone else said it. The students just kind of like looked at us blankly. They had no idea what that phrase meant. Really threw me off. We strive to provide for our families. That's good, that's right, that's biblical. But what often happens is we get sucked into this competition to see who has the best stuff the car we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, the phone we use becomes a measurement of our worth. Our identity becomes wrapped up in material possessions that, quite honestly, will be outdated in a matter of years, and sometimes a matter of months or weeks. This is a vicious game that the doctrine of justification frees us from. If my relationship with God has, has nothing to do with my stuff, then I don't have to spend my life pursuing after that stuff. <laughs> what I own doesn't have to own me. It then becomes a tool with which I can bless others and see the kingdom of God expanded. Being justified by the blood of Christ means the rich and the poor are brothers and sisters in Christ. Each Enters through Christ and through him alone. A bank statement doesn't actually matter in the courtroom of God. Whether you are right with God has nothing to do with your stuff. And again, that, that frees us up. After all, doesn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter six that, that God clothes the field with flowers and He He feeds the birds? If that's the case, then won't he take care of us? Finally, if you've been justified before God through faith in Christ, then you don't need to defend yourself on Facebook. Your political point of view that you're defending so ardently is actually pretty irrelevant and probably hurting your gospel witness. If you are made right by the blood of Christ, you don't need to constantly defend your views. You don't. Take a breath. Those keyboard strokes on social media need not define you. If you've been redeemed through Christ, then you don't need to engage in every disagreement. And I'll just go ahead and say, social media is a terrible place to have a disagreement in general. Because what happens is we act as if the second great commandment to love your neighbor as yourself doesn't actually apply when it comes to online. We assume the worst in the other person. We don't give the benefit of the doubt. We don't love our neighbor. And we could go on and on with more applications, but what I hope you see is that this doctrine, the doctrine of justification, as taught in Romans 3:21 through 26 is not an abstract doctrine. It's one that meets us where we are in our day-to-day life. Since Christ has redeemed us, since he's our redeemer, since he's our savior, since he's our Lord, he gets to say who we are. Your career doesn't have that power. Your stuff doesn't have that authority whether or not you're in a relationship or not. It doesn't have that power. I've been reconciled to God because of Christ, not because of me. Brothers and sisters, there is freedom in that. We get to walk in freedom, a freedom from bondage that really the culture desperately is looking for. We've been brought into the family of God through the precious blood of Christ. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Christ, this is how you are brought into the family of God, through the blood of Christ. Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. No, I don't, but I know Jesus. And through his blood, you can be justified today. And for the believer in this room... Start acting like it. Walk in the freedom that was purchased for you by our righteous God through the blood of Christ. The very spot where you find your identity, if it's outside of Christ, is the very spot that you need to take to the cross of Christ. And to begin to look at that, your career, your relationship, your stuff, through the lens of the cross of Christ. We can walk in freedom because we've been justified by the grace of God as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We can walk in that freedom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for who you are. God, that we, we can know you, that we can be brought into your family. not not because of us. God, I thank you very much that it's not based on me. But it's on Christ. God, we live in a world that seeks to define us in a thousand different ways when you have already defined us through Christ as a child of God. Justified, safe in our Father's arms. So God, I pray for the unbeliever that this would be the moment that Alarm bells would go off if they are under the wrath of God, but in Christ they can be saved. And for the believer that they would begin to walk in freedom that you have purchased for us at the cross. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.